Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from meditation to spirituality to personal passions to successes and failures to relationships to the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. One of our amazing sponsors this week is Zen Parenting Radio. Zen Parenting Radio podcast combines self-awareness and mindfulness with pop culture and humor to expand compassion for ourselves, each other, and the world. You're going to hear a discussion between a spiritual and emotional mom and a logical and practical dad, a podcast to help you feel outstanding. Join my friends, Kathy and Todd, at zenparentingradio.com. Yes, I'm your host, Mike Domish, and thrilled to be here with our cast from the Everyday Mindfulness Show. This week's cast includes Rick Lemons, Barry Moniak, and Dr. Jen. You can learn all about and check out our brilliant cast at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. We're going to get right in today because today's show is about seeing the good in each person. And this was inspired from the book Shambhala, The Sacred Path of the Warrior by Chagnam Trumpa. And what it was about, it was for, you know, a lot of times, whether it's politics, it's celebrities, there are people who say they'll just despise people. And, and how do you see the good in that person? Or someone will say, how do you talk to your children about that? Being able to see the positive in a difficult situation. And so we're going to lead with this quote. The quote is, see with the heart so that what is invisible to the eye becomes visible as a living magic of reality. Seeing one drop of water can be seen all water. See how things display their harmony and their chaos at the same time. We are never limited by beauty alone, but we appreciate all sides of reality properly. So I'm going to start with you, Jen, with the first question being, how do you do that? Like, how do you see the good inside of each person? I would say it's not easy. (laughs) Especially, I mean, yeah, in our our current political political climate and just so so much divisiveness. But for me, one thing that I play with is checking in with how open my heart feels. And that was at the start of that quote you said, you know, see with the heart. And that is over. You know, I've been practicing mindfulness for almost fourteen years, and kind of training myself over time to be able to discern, am I just looking at something with my my head and kind of being detached or am I dropping into my heart? And if I'm dropping into my heart, is my heart closed? <laughs> or can I open the door a little bit, which for me feels like compassion. 
It feels like appreciation. It feels like a common humanity type of piece, like a, just a human to a human type of thing from a heart-centered place. This idea like we're all in this together. We're all trying to do the best that we can. We all want to be happy. We all suffer. We all struggle. And that for me, just breaking it down to that common humanity piece that we're all equal in that way. And so somebody might do actions that are very upsetting to me, but who's the who and where is the human inside of that and trying to see that. And for me, I, I need to consciously focus on opening my heart to do that. Jen, so let's dive into that. Let's say you're going to an event with a few people, just a few. One of them, you know, has blatantly lied about you, others done harm to you in those in that lie, or you have felt harm, let's put it that way, through that lie. And you're going to hang out with them now for two to three hours. So what's the process? How are you doing that? Well, so it's good to know when I'm going into a situation like that. Because I let's think say, like, let's, say you don't know. let's say you don't know, like you show up in the right. I mean, first of all, acknowledge like, this is a really difficult situation. I strive to be in a place of being responsive versus being reactive. And, you know, which is, I think, you know, at the heart of what we can gain from mindfulness. And so me shifting into my heart and trying to keep it open. I, it would say for me, it's definitely like a grounding, calming thing of taking deep breaths, staying present. And then if I'm going to interact with this person of being in a place of inquiry, of asking questions to try to actually understand their view more. So it's a, I mean, it feels like an incredible, I, you know, I can even just this slight scenario you created, I can feel it in my whole body. <laughs> And I could feel the tension. And for me, it feels like a relinquishing of, of control, a surrendering of the ego, and really just trying to stay present with that person, taking care of myself, you know, calming myself, nurturing myself, if it becomes too much of removing myself from the situation. You know, I don't have to be a warrior in every situation if it's too much for me and shifting to self-compassion. But otherwise, if I can stay present with them of, of of that combination of grounding, breathing, conscious heart opening, and asking that person questions. I think for me, one of the things that I learned through my practices, um, you know, yoga, mindfulness, meditation, and then of course, just looking at someone else and understanding they're coming from their map of the world and it's different than mine. And as much as I may get, you know, my buttons pushed or torqued about something, if I just say, they're just a different person than me, it's that simple. They have different values, they have different beliefs, and it's really hard because <laughs> I'm one of those people right now that I feel like, you know, with everything that's going on in our world, I have a chance being a gay man of being marginalized as much as anybody right now. But I also realize people are operating from the best space that they know how to operate. And I remember when I was in coach training school, one of my instructors said, so how hard would it be for you to accept that somebody is doing the best that they know how to do, that they're operating with what they've been given and that's all they can do is what they've been given. And of course there was some discussion around that and she said, okay, so let me throw you a scenario. How hard would it be for you to accept that someone who just murdered someone is doing the best with what they've been given? And of course a lot of people started like really having a hard time with that because of the ethical dilemma that shows up. But what if that's all they can show up with? What if that is the best they can show up with? Doesn't, it doesn't take away the fact that they just murdered someone. 
But when you see someone for what they purely, truly are, and that's all they can do, for me at least, it starts to relieve some pressure. I start to lose judgment. I start to let go of having to be in control of the situation. And I actually feel myself actually starting to calm down. Do you think, Rick, that that would work if you thought that person had killed someone you cared about? I don't think it would work right out the gate, but I I know that I've been in some situations, not around murder, but some situations where I have been pressed so hard about who I am and, and as a gay man that I thought I could never get past it. And then when I finally said, wait, this person or these people are actually doing the best they can with the knowledge they have and their understanding of the world. And as soon as I grabbed onto that, I saw a complete different shift in myself. It became so much easier to be with people. It it became so much easier to not get riled by stuff and not have my buttons pushed. Barry, what about you? I'm, I'm listening to everything that's happening and I'm agreeing with pretty much all of it to a degree. If I'm in a safe, sacred space, I'm in a meditative place, then I can go into this more open-hearted, compassionate, you know, see the good in everybody. When it goes into more of an interactive thing, like the example that you said, and, and those are the kinds of things that we run into all the time, somebody said or did something that we may or may not agree with, uh, and it can have different levels of severity to it, then it becomes more tactical. This is where mindfulness really comes in. Who and what is involved? Who and what is at stake? If it's just a bunch of people hanging out at a party and someone in that party has has seriously offended me or someone I care about, that may not be the best place to start, try to start the dialogue because it's going to draw other people into it that really it didn't belong to. So that's where I would agree with Jen. I might just choose to go, you know what, I'm, I'm going to leave because I don't want to deal with this and I'm not going to try to make believe like it didn't happen. Yeah. And I think that's a great example of when you're at a party or something, I can hear some people probably listening right now going, whoa, whoa, whoa. what if this is a work meeting? You can't leave. The boss is in the room yeah, and these are, these are three people. Right, it. right. Yeah. Now, how do I, because now I don't have that option. So, okay, if I can't leave the room, now what do I do? And and this takes some intellectual thinking. This takes some practical, tactical training of how do you deal with difficult, awkward, weird situations without, like uh, Rick was saying, without going off half cocked. No, we don't want to do that. Nothing ever good is going to come of that. But there's a situation that does need to be dealt with. So now what's the best I can do to address the situation? And so let's go tactical. What would be tactics that this group would employ at that moment? Jen, you gave some examples earlier. How are they presenting to the world outside of that one thing? They lied to me or they hurt me or whatever. You know, are they, I think questions like, do they love their children? You know, if I, if I could think in my mind, do they love their children? And I could focus on that. That's a loving parent. I may totally disagree with how they parent. That's different than if they love their children. It allows us to somehow understand, okay, they have love for people. So that put that at least puts love in my mind. But I don't know, Mike, how, how well that places you to be tactical because now you just went intellectual again. Yeah, somewhere in them there's goodness or like 
Rick said, you know, maybe they did something god awful terrible, but that's the way they're wired. But if, say, we're in a business meeting, there's a half a dozen people in the meeting, and one of the people in the meeting has done something to me that offended me or caused me harm, but that issue has nothing to do with anybody else in that business meeting, then I might, if I felt comfortable enough, say, I just want everybody to know that Mike and I are having uh, an issue, but I don't want that to bleed into what we're working on here. I'm sure you're all aware of this situation, but we're going to do that offline. That kind of puts everybody on notice that, yes, I'm aware and I'm not sweeping it under the carpet, but it's not going to be addressed here. If he was or she was doing something or had done something that affects the business or that dynamic of the business, then yeah, that that needs to be addressed. And how we do that, that depends on our leadership skills. Well, and I think what's interesting about that is they're, they're both potentially tactical. In other words, the tactical you gave of, I'm going to address the room and address is tactical. And I think where you said, hey, Mike, you went intellectual, but it was tactical that allowed me to go intellectual. I thought of a technique to use. And so yeah. I'm employing that technique at that moment. Now, once I'm in my head, yeah, I'm out of tactical, but I need the tactic to get in my head, maybe, you know, like and if, to, to move if me that's there. a tool that helps you get to that better place, yes. <laughs> right. Because I remember once we, we knew someone in our lives that... Oh, they would just find, I mean, they would find anything wrong possible. And I don't want to be too specific because I don't want to reveal for confidentiality reasons, but just anything wrong. And what really helped me was understanding, okay, I'm, I'm dealing with an OCD person. There's a, there's literally something they are struggling with, whether they're aware of it or not, it's blatantly obvious. And I need to keep that in mind that, that their harm to me is not intentional. I don't believe it was, but if I can have compassion for the fact they have OCD without acknowledging that in my mind, it allows me to see them without all this ill will or these feelings. I also think part of the tactic is realizing, so let's go back to the, what Barry was talking about, you know, in a room and you're at a meeting and you feel like you can't leave the room, but I think you can. And it just becomes a mind shift. The tactic becomes I really want to leave this room, but I know for the betterment of the team and the company or the organization or whatever's going on, whatever it may be, the best way that I can be here right now is to leave the room in my mind and be present only with what is actually happening in this moment. We can leave the room of the, you know, the jerk sitting next to us that we're not getting along with. We can leave that room and and go away from that room and step into the present moment room where we're at right now and so i think that's another tactic to look at is how do you what would happen if you in that meeting uh happened to be the principal of the organization or it was your meeting to be run this is where to to partially check out in order to emotionally feel okay then you're you're no longer in the standing on the piece of ground you need to, to run an effective meeting or to deal with the situation at hand. I don't think so. I think if you check out of the, the situation between you and the other person and you say, and I think we're on the same page here, Barry, I think it's checking out of the situation that you know is going on between the two of you so that that doesn't infringe on what you're trying to accomplish in this particular meeting and you stay present with everything else. But even if that person speaks up, 
you don't allow yourself to go into that space. That's what I mean by checking out. You're checking out. So you're saying a similar thing that Mike just said, a tool to get us to a place where we can be more effective. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Because in that situation, you're really checking out on the past. You're checking Mm -hmm. out on the history before you walked in that room. Mm-hmm. And if you say, right, that's really what you're referring to there, Rick, isn't it? That I'm going to check mm-hmm. out on the history of our relationship. And today is a brand new meeting in this moment with this group of people with no drama from the past history. Or it well, may be current, but we can at least put a pin in it so that we can deal with what's in front of us. I'm just going to pause this for one second because I want to let everyone listening know about one of our amazing sponsors. And that's the book, Yes Means Yes, An Introduction to Consent and Boundaries by Christine Babinick. Yes Means Yes is for our youngest readers and takes one of the most basic tasks of childhood, learning to ask for permission, and applies to consent and healthy boundaries. Available on Amazon, Yes Means Yes, An Introduction to Consent and Boundaries. It sounds like the the tactical approach is, is being very intentional around where are you focusing your attention and your energy. Like you have a specific goal if you're running that meeting you're being distracted, right, by these past activities and this this negative energy you have with someone else. Um, and that's pulling you away from your intention and your goal. And so making the mindful choice to focus on, you know, what is my intent in this current meeting? Uh, where do I focus on that? And how do I bring the best of me to, to, you know, stay on track with that intention? So I'm curious what, what you all think, because People who get into the the open heartedness and and trying to see the good in people, they're like a half step away from the whole forgiveness conversation. So you did something bad, wrong, or stupid, maybe even god awful, but because there's good in you, I forgive you. I've got some pretty strong thoughts and feelings about that, and I'm wondering where you guys are. Well, why don't you open us up with that conversation if yeah. you're comfortable? And what do you mean by sure. I have strong feelings? Well, that when someone does something, again, bad, wrong, or stupid, and someone else forgives them, I don't know that energetically anything has been addressed or, or corrected or healed. So one of the things that I've learned in, in my course of studies is things are what they are. And so if you said or did something in the past that I didn't think was okay, I'm going to hold on to that. I am not going to let it go, and I am not going to forgive you. I'm just going to let you do whatever you're going to do. And when you get to the point of going, you know what? You no longer want to be associated to that action or behavior, and you've changed your mind. That's when I forgive and want to reconnect and move forward. So, so you make you make forgiveness a a something others have to prove to you beforehand. Unless, and again, every situation is unique. If we're talking about a child, if we're talking about someone who just didn't know, well, then, yeah, it's over and done. You didn't know, and, and I got nothing to hold on to. If I deem that you should or could be responsible enough for your actions and you did not act accordingly, then, no, I'm not going to let that go. Well, I think some of it depends on if we're if we are currently actively interacting with this person who yes. has has harmed us and we we have to continually be in that situation and there's no acknowledgement from the other person of what they've done or the harm that they've done or they're not willing to be in conversation around it and we can't we can't meet in an open-hearted place around it of acknowledging what's happened on all sides 
I think there's a, there's, I would say there's a self-compassion piece in that of, okay, how do we not keep, I don't think the point of forgiveness is to keep putting ourselves in harm's way versus a situation of somebody that's harmed us in the past or, and that we're holding on to that we don't necessarily interact with regularly, or we're not putting ourselves in, you know, emotional or physical harm's way with them. And then to me, it sounds like the not forgiveness is that we, we are completely giving our, you know, our ability for happiness, our ability for uh, stability and our ability to, I'm just, I do keep coming back to open heartedness. We're giving that ability away to somebody else instead of empowering ourselves and recognizing that we have a choice around it. So I think those circumstances are really different. Yeah. And I think, I think what you're referencing, Barry, is interesting because the idea that I'm not going to forgive until they've proven they understand the need for forgiveness. The, the argument back on that is, well, then it's the, you're, you're making a choice to keep toxic energy in you. It sounds like, I'm not saying that that's happening, but instead well, of, if I have an emotional charge on it, yes, you're right. Right. And so you're keeping that in you and that's doing harm to you. Toxic energy in you is doing harm to you. And so I think of people in, in my life or people that I've met in my life that have had the most horrific circumstances occur to them. It's sometimes immediately afterwards, forgive the, the, the criminal. And, and, and you go, how could you do that? And they say, that's just it. It's not about the criminal. It's about me. It's about me needing to move forward. It's not about the criminal, whether they've proven themselves or not. It's about, I don't, I don't need that in my life. I don't want that in my life. And I'm going to let this go and forgive them because that, that's what forgiveness is. It's not, you know, it's like the person who says, I forgive you, but I won't forget. That's not forgiveness then. That means you're holding on to it. It depends on whether we're holding on to it psycho-emotionally or whether we're just holding on to it with mindfulness that really happened. I saw it. I witnessed it. I don't have to hold on to any toxic energy or weird energy if I just saw something happen. And then now I have a point of reference to look back to to go, has it changed or not? If not, okay, it still is where it is. If it has, has it gotten better or worse? Well, now I've got choices. But I think we've gotten into the psycho babble stuff of we need to forgive and forget or it's doing me harm, but that's what's allowed the world to go into chaos. And so there's that thing, you know, if you make a mistake once, shame on me, you make the same mistake twice, shame on, no, you make the mistake, shame on you, I make the same mistake twice, shame on me. If we allow people to keep getting away with less than conscious behavior or activity, then we're not monitoring our own uh, environment. So actually, you're not referring to forgiveness at this point. In other words, by what you're describing, Barry, there is no forgiveness, right? You, you, by the description you gave, I'm either, I'm acknowledging that happened and I'm, and I'm saying, okay, that happened. And, and then later I see they don't do that anymore. And so I realize, okay, that's not who they are anymore. Or I see they do do that anymore and that's who they are. But I'm not going to let the emotional cycle attachment happen. So for you, there's no, forgiveness doesn't have, not that it doesn't have a place, but there's really no need for forgiveness in the world with your belief system there, correct? Well, what I do is what I call forgiveness, but it doesn't seem to jive with a whole lot of other people's. I don't care what somebody said or did. What I really care about is what did they do next? Right. So forgiveness is not in your ver- your, your vocabulary, really, because even that's not forgiveness. That's his track record. Well, but in my in my language, <laughs> that is forgiveness. That's what I call forgiveness. 
if the next thing they do shows they learn from that, then then you give them forgiveness. Yes, and support to continue moving forward. Okay. I think that's awesome. I've never heard the the, the linking of the forgiving and forgetting together. It's I mean, at least in my understanding and in my personal practice, the forgiving is not letting the situation hook me anymore in that if a thought comes up around that whatever happened that I just get so knocked off my track and I get hooked with the anger or the shame or the embarrassment or you know whatever the yes ooh, the really rough situation is in that it throws me off and so the forgiveness is and I think this is why it comes back to that we generally look at forgiveness is for us it's the it's the working through that process where I don't get hooked so that the situation as somebody could reference a situation I certainly still remember it and I I want to remember it because you know because we learn and grow because we don't keep putting ourselves in you know specifically really harmful situations because we don't want the negative things in the past to repeat themselves so the memory is there but it doesn't hook me in the same way with the storyline and with the emotional piece that knocks me off. So th- that's the difference between those two for me. Well, and Jen, that's why I said it the way I said it. Uh, yeah. Because that's the, the tone is everything there, right? The person yeah. who says, I forgive you, but I won't forget. That, right. It's right. Vind- there's a vindictive, toxic <laughs> language. Right. It's very different than, oh, I forgive. I won't forget. You know, I'll, I'll remember that, but I forgive you. That's very different than, than, oh, I forgive you, but I will not forget. You know, I mean, that there's night and day approach to those two same statements. Rick, what about you? How do you see that? Well, I was just thinking as you were talking about it, and I'm going to just use a really truthful example of this. I had a situation with my parents over a year ago where it put us into a tailspin of literally no communication whatsoever. And I went into my own self and said, okay, do I need to forgive them or do I need to forget this ever happened? And I got into a real struggle there. And what I came to was I actually need to forgive myself for letting this become something I can't forget. And once I got there and said, okay, I'm forgiving myself for having these kind of feelings. And if I forgive myself for having those kind of feelings, how do I prevent myself from having these kind of feelings again when something like this comes up? And the more I kept digging, what I found is if I can control the feelings that I want to have and not react and learn to respond in these situations so that now there is no forgiving or forgetting, I learn how to respond in a way that is authentic to myself, is authentic to the way I want to show up in the world, then I don't do something that makes me go, crap, I wish I hadn't have done that. Or I wish they'd quit doing that. I just, you know, and I'm still doing, I'm still, this is not perfection by any stretch of the imagination, but it's something I've really tried to start stepping into is I take everything from away from a reaction to a response. And the minute I say, okay, how do I want to respond in these ways? What I find is I end up not pushing buttons near as much as I used to. I end up not getting my buttons pushed near as much as I used to. And I know that when when buttons get pushed, then there's something I've got to forgive, whether it's myself or the other people. And if I can't forgive them, then I'm not going to forget either. 
So now I try to say in the realm of let's just respond. Let's not react because I know react leads me to then having to create something I got to forgive or for, or somebody else needs to forgive me about something. And then a lot of times I will get in that space because I know I can be a SOB at times where I won't forget things. But what I've found is when I'm in this reaction mode, that's what happens when I'm in response. I'm breathing. I'm slowing down. I'm thinking before I say something, and then I'm stepping into that person's map of the world with them and going, how can I respond right now so that we don't create this arena where either one of us has to be in forgive, we just accept and try to find a path through. I love it. And that's a that's a great place for us to wrap up this week's show, which I love we went from how do you see the good in each person to really diving in what forgiveness means, who's it for. Great, great conversation, everyone. I want to thank you. For those of you listening, you've been hearing Rick Clemens, Barry Moniak, and Dr. Jen. I want to thank each of you for joining me this week for a really, really in-depth conversation. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Absolutely. For everyone listening, you can check out our brilliant cast at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And we hope you're all subscribing so you automatically get these every week. Leave reviews, share with friends. And until next time, may you enjoy everyday mindfulness in your life. Three quick reminders. One, please subscribe to the Everyday Mindfulness Show on iTunes. Already subscribed? Then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show. Two, while on iTunes, download all the latest episodes. Three, reviews help more people find out about the show. Would you please go into iTunes and write a review? Doing so helps spread the mission of the show. Thanks. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com and check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.